What's going on, designers and decorators? It's Timothy. Happy freaking new year. 2021 was an absolute dumpster fire, I think, for a lot of us. But what the most amazing part is, is we can look back at that and realize that there were so many things that we learned from everything that we've gone through the past year. And there's so many of those things that uh, that will that will teach us what to do in the coming years and in the future. So don't look at last year as um, something of a horrible thing, even though it was an absolute dumpster fire. I'm even saying it's a horrible thing. But utilize that and definitely build on the future off of everything that we learned from the last year. And that's the beauty of it. So, so much has happened. I know it's been a while since I recorded, primarily because Indima is growing so rapidly. We just launched social media management so you can now automate all of your posts for Facebook, Instagram, uh, Instagram, <laughs> Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and even your Pinterest boards and, and scheduling your pins out. Um, it is a phenomenal platform. Uh, platform. It's a phenomenal add-on to the Indema core that there is an absolute free plan for everyone who's on Indema. Um, and specifically for this podcast, if you don't want to use Indema specifically, if you don't need a business and project management platform side of things, definitely reach out to me personally and ask me if um, I'm able to put you on just the social media part. We will later launch the social media platform as a separate entity um, just for those designers who don't necessarily want to use Indema or log into it to access the social media management aspect of it. Um and then today we just launched email automations. So now um, you can really automate that initial onboarding um, of your clients and send out emails automatically to your leads every time they're entered into the system and even send out uh, automatic emails after clients added into the system and really get those multi-level and uh, emails going out to those uh, leads and your clients for various things. Um, you can even attach files to these, send them out in different increments um, in you know X amount of minutes, hours, days, and even weeks uh, from you know when you initially do that uh, initial step. So definitely check it out. Um, the email automation is available to every um, Indema user. So if you are an Indema user, go ahead and play around with it. Um, it's going to be under the new business menu item. With that said, this episode's all about the lead process. Um, obviously, there's the design process, and I think the design process is very, very specific to the designer. Um, you know, obviously, there's my own design process that I can share, and even my own lead process, which I'll share here. Um, but it's a really great stepping stone to to really understand how many steps there are. Um, and exactly everything that you can go through, even on the lead side, not even talking about the interior design aspect of things. So without further ado, step one is to qualify the lead. What do I mean by that? There's a lot of different factors that I even go through when qualifying a lead. So factors, um, there's actually two sections to this that I focus a lot on. Um, I qualify the client and I also qualify the project. Because you can have a great client, but a really crappy project and vice versa. You can have a really, really great project, but the client, not so much. And those two separate quality factors are really, really important for you to, to know whether or not this lead can go any further than the step one to not waste your time or even that lead's time. Obviously, you don't want to waste your time. You need to find a lead that actually you're going to hire um, and then eventually pay you for that time. So what does it look like for the client side? For me, um, it looks like, are they stable client? Now, what do I mean by stable? For example, I've walked into homes where there's like, you know, a loose bird and there's bird crap everywhere and it looks like they're a hoarding situation. That's not a stable client for me. You want to make sure that your client lives a relatively stable life where, you know, their their house isn't completely trashed. 
in a sense of they just don't give a shit about their things. And yeah, maybe they can hire you for, you know, a design project, but you really have to understand that this is really meant to enhance their environment. And if they can't take care of their environment, they may not be a client that you want to work with. Next up is, are they open with their budget? I've gotten a lot of clients in my past where they're like, oh, I don't have a budget. Like, come on, Oprah has a budget. And I think that I've even did an episode about this too um, a long while ago. But if my client isn't so willing to, to openly give me an amount that they're willing to spend on this project, it tells me that they're not either serious about this project or that they can't really afford it and they're just shopping around for the cheapest possible option. That's a huge red flag, at least to me, because that tells me later down the process, are they then going to start being cheap with their amounts that you're telling them that's going to cost for a sofa or, um, you know, to redo their kitchen? So just just one thing to keep in back of your mind. And then the third thing is basically to not have worked with a designer before. I know that's not really a red flag for some people, but it's definitely something you should consider because if the client has worked with a designer before, you now have to work 10 times harder to reset those expectations from the other designer to fit your expectations that you have with your, with your clients for your design firm. Um, and the other thing too is what happened. Like you're, you're never going to get the full story. The client can sit there and tell you, oh, I fired the designer. But it could very well be a whole different situation with the designer firing the client and the client just not being open with that. So for me, if I have a client that tells me that they've worked with a designer, I'll, I'll you know, empathize with them. But I'll also ask them kind of like, you know, what happened? I'm just curious. And I, I take it with a grain of salt. I, I don't think that the client's lying, but I also have my guard up to know that it's possible that the client's lying and to just keep that in the back of my mind that if they're possibly lying about this because you can't find the full story, then they could be lying about other things throughout the project. Then we have the project uh, qualifications. Is it large enough or small enough? Um, I have a very, very like, I don't know, maybe maybe because I'm used to it, but I have a, a very, very clear line in my head of what kind of project is too big for me or is too small. Um, and you really have to find that that even spot. If it's too small, you're probably not getting paid enough um, to where it makes it makes it make, make sense, basically. Um, and maybe it's too large to where it's not even possible that you can do it yourself. You'd have to hire a whole team of people to do it. Um, and that really just comes down to you and your comfort, how comfortable you are with with that large of a project or even that small of a project. And that could be different for everyone. And maybe that's not even a qualifying factor. Maybe you will take anything and just make it work. Um, I did that for many years too. Then next about the project qualifications is does your project um, or does the budget fit that project? This kind of still goes along with the clients and what their budget even is. So if you have a client that says, hey, my budget's 100000 it kind of seems fair for like a kitchen reno. Uh, but then you like dig deeper into, okay, well, what exactly you know does a client want in this kitchen reno? Does that extend to the dining room? Because usually when you do a kitchen renovation, you want to kind of do the dining room because it's usually right next to the kitchen. So for me, if the budget doesn't fit the scope of work, that's also a red flag. Even if the budget for that client is a lot of money, it just seems that the client really doesn't have the full expectation um, of you know what like how far that hundred thousand dollars can actually go. And you could do you could take this in one of two ways. You could take this as you know I don't want to deal with it all at all, or you can take it as an educational um, route with your client to say, look, even though hundred thousand dollars is a lot of money to you, and most people. Um, it really doesn't work well with your project and here's why and provide that reason why and see if they're willing to increase the budget or lower the scope of work. 
one or the other. So it's not really like a disqualifying factor. It's a disqualifying depending on the the what the client actually says and how the client answers that and how that conversation goes after that is discovered. And then lastly, your capabilities. It kind of goes into number one, but this is huge because you can get a big project that very well could fit within your capabilities. Um, but you really have to understand your capabilities as a designer. This kind of goes along the route of being able to charge flat rate for a designer, you really have to understand your capabilities and be 100% confident with those capabilities in order for you to make the money you need to make on that project doing flat rate. This is kind of the same thing. You need to understand how long something's gonna take you um, or your capabilities as a designer um, you know, to, to actually take that project and to make that project really, really successful. And that's definitely something that you should write like, you know, two columns and say, what are my capabilities and what aren't my capabilities and really understand that to the fullest extent that you could understand it. Next is step two, the initial consultation. So my consultations, and this is like different for everyone too, but my consultations are actually free meet and greets. And I don't even call them a design consultation because it's very demeaning, not demeaning, sorry, that's very misleading if you are like me and you just want to do a meet and greet. So I'm very, very cautious because I've done it before where I said design consult, I didn't charge and the client was um, expecting a whole design consultation. So you could either say, you know, a free meet and greet or um, just meet and greet without the word free in it. Um, or the other route is saying a design consultation, which generally speaking, that means that they're going to be paid. Um, sorry, you're going to be paid. Uh, the client would be charged for your time to go do that. So the design consultation, um, of course, can go those two ways, free or paid. Um, so let's look at both of those. The free one, which is what I do is the initial is the the chat with my client even before I do any kind of meet like meet and greet consultation. This is like the first phone call and this is really really crucial. Talk to your client like they're your best friend in the whole world. Like just talk to them normally. Be your authentic self because that is what's going to draw people to hiring you. It's not going to be your price. Sometimes it is. It's not going to be your capabilities. Sometimes it is. But more so, it's that first initial phone conversation and how well you connect with that client over that phone. And that's even more crucial because it is the phone. They don't know you through a hole in the wall. So they're just talking to some random person that they called. Um, and they need to put all of their trust in you from the very, very first second that they contact you. Um, so that's really important. So make sure you take advantage of that. Then talk about your design firm. Um, so then this is basically uh, during the actual consultation, talk about the design firm and talk about um, how long you've been a designer for and be okay with the fact that you've not been designing for very long. You could even fib a little bit and say, you know, I've been doing this for a little bit. I mean, a little bit's a very vague, um, very, very vague thing. So you can kind of get away with it. Some clients won't probe, some clients will. And it's really all about your confidence level. If you are so confident in your work as a designer, then you, you fucking show that confidence. You say, I've been doing this for three months, but I've had such an amazing time. And you just make your, your personality and your confidence speak louder than the time frame that you've been doing it. Next up is walking the space. Um, so walking the space, this is the free part, is not talking about design. 
it's really just asking the client what they envision in that particular space. Um, you know, talking about if they've kind of like been looking at things on their own and what they like and what they don't like. It's not about you and sp- like going in there and saying, oh my God, let's do a sofa here and let's do a side chair and a table and this and that and that and this and, you know, envisioning this space with the client. That's, that's the non-free part and that's the meet and greet. This is just a meet and greet. This is just you guys talking as if you're friends forever. Then we want to talk about expectations. So next, after we walk this space, we sit down and we continue our conversation. We want to talk about their expectations because if we want to keep the first at least half of the consult or meet and greet in this case, all about the client and we want them talking about themselves because it makes them feel good. When you talk about yourself and when you like talk about um, you know what you like and what you love, it's more about you and it's more and this is about the client this isn't about you as a designer this client's wanting you to design their space so it is about them so during this i talk about all the expectations that they have working with a design firm and then i touch base a little bit about our expectations through the next step which is the design process so i openly talk to my clients about the design process i don't talk about the fee though Never, 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 in my own personal opinion, talk about the fee during the first consultation or meet and greet. And the reason why is because when you when you attach money very first and foremost in that meeting, that meeting then shifts from you talking to them in a confident way about um, about their space as a friend, um, which really like draws a lot of people in on a, a psychological level to it being strictly a business uh, transaction. And if you're a designer that is a strict business transaction, that's amazing too, then yeah, uh, by all means, include the pricing talk in the design process. Um, For sure, if that's what you do, that's what you wanna do, yeah, that would be a perfect opportunity to do it. So talk about the design process, what the client should expect moving forward, Um, but I personally, in a meet and greet, don't talk about money just yet. Then um, is the closure. So I take my last minute pictures, which by the way, during the walk of the space, I do take a bunch of pictures on my cell phone and I always ask prior. Even though the client kind of expects me to take pictures, I always ask permission to take pictures because it's their own personal space and I wanna make sure that they're okay with it. So the closure is you know, taking those last minute pictures, notes, telling the client what the next steps are, if it's a proposal or an email. And I always give them an exact time frame too. Say, I will get back to you by Thursday the 23rd. And I always get back to them the day before the day that I say, because it's setting that expectation and you're exceeding that expectation with that time frame. This shows the client that you are 110% invested in their project and that you overshoot what you say you're gonna do in a more positive way. Um, you never, never, never wanna say, hey, I'll get back to you in a couple of days. Give them a time frame and beat that time frame for yourself. And then when you're in the car, right before you take off to go back to your office or home or wherever it is, then you write that down and set yourself a reminder for it to just re- reply to that client uh, within that time frame. Now, for the paid design consultation, the only difference between that and the initial one is really the uh, the, the 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 walk the space part. Um, after that is the design advice during the walks walking of the space. So as you're going through these rooms, then you can splurge out like, hey. It'd be great if there was a sofa here or, you know, let's make this room bright and airy and, you know, that's what the client then pays for. You're spending a little bit more time in each room to say, you know, your thoughts about the direction of design that you'd like to take. Um, And then obviously you charge your design fee based on whatever it is, whether it's a flat rate fee for that design consult or if you want to charge an hourly rate. Totally, totally up to you. 
And then step three in the lead process is expect. So let's set expectations for your prospective clients. I personally have that ebook um, in episode two, which that ebook is setting that expectation about hiring a designer. This is a really, really great step. You could actually do it this way in step three after you meet the client, or you can do it right before you meet the client. The ebook, when you send it to them, it's it's something that you can almost always get questions on. And I say almost because there's like maybe nine out of 10 clients that I send that book to, they actually email with questions thereafter just to clarify things. So it's really nice to know that they've read it. And it's also nice to get those questions that, um, that get you thinking about this whole process. The other thing too is it allow you to get some insight into how your clients communicate with you. Um, would they call you with those questions or would they email? How are those emails formatted? Do they sound a little bit off? Do they sound like you know these are normal questions? Do they sound defensive? Do they sound apprehensive? Um, all of that is really, really good advice to prevent going into even step four if you don't like what you see or hear which step four is propose. So believe it or not, this can be skipped, but it is a good next step. So I don't personally send proposals. I actually skip proposals and go directly to sending the contract and deposit, which is step five and six. So the proposal is kind of good and it's also kind of bad. The good part of it is obviously setting that expectation about what the scope of work is. The bad part about it is that you're kind of setting that expectation that this is what you get and you can't get anything else. So that's why I kind of like omit it because the client then has some sort of expectation that, oh, this proposal means it's set in stone and that's all I get and I don't get anything else. So it's really difficult to portray that unless you put it in like big red font and saying, you know, this isn't set in stone. If you want to add stuff, you can blah, blah, blah. So I kind of skip that. And even though the contract has our scope of work in the contract, it does also say that you can add the scope of work and then sets the terms for that. So there's further expectations set in one space versus causing confusion on this step and then having a different thing in you know the contract. So I skip step four um, totally. And then I just go into sending the contract and a deposit. So when it comes to that, I send the an email first and explaining the next process like, hey, this is what I'm. This is the next following emails you're gonna get. You're gonna get an email uh, for the contract, and I usually send the email through DocuSign, um, or I use my um, my platform in Dima. The platform within Dima, I don't use very often. I use it for smaller projects, um, just because the DocuSign platform is for like the bigger you know projects where I need like initials on every page and blah blah blah. Um, so it's a little bit more elaborate and. When I use DocuSign, I send the DocuSign after the email, and then I also follow that next email up with a invoice for the non-refundable retainer. Um, and so that's my process. Email first, and then I send the contract, and then the retainer. And then we hit the ground running. We set, we schedule our next meeting for measurements and contractor meeting, where I bring three contractors. Not at the same time, I'll schedule them out. Um, I'll measure the space all in that meeting. Um, which also you can measure the space in the design fee consultation, but um, that tends to take a lot of up a lot of space and time. Um, so you want to be careful with that. You want that to be one hour because if that's what they're paying for, you want to spend too much time, and that's also a time where the client's probably going to be talking to you. So you definitely want to get paid for that time if it goes past that hour that you're charging them. So there you have it, the lead process. And then of course, last but not least, um, automate that process as much as possible. 
Within Deem, I mentioned earlier that we have email automations and that email automation is live today for everyone to use and you can actually send out an email to a lead that's entered into Indima. You can set multi-level different kind of campaigns at different intervals of time um, to really try to automate this initial process with your clients. Well, that's it, my friends. Until next time, um, I love you all. Thanks so much for tuning in to the lead process. Definitely check out Indima.co, I-N-D-E-M-A.co for our social media side that was just released and also our email automation. Um, Thanks again so much. Take care. Love you all. Namaste.